Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hello, hello, and happy Friday, everyone. Uh, man, I was, whenever I listen to Joan's uh, pet conversations, I so want to adopt a pet. And I do want to reiterate what they were talking about in regards to being able to uh, be uh, tolerant of pets if you're dating someone. My husband went through many, 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 many shots uh, in order to be around me and my cat. So I want to uh, get this show rolling because we've got a guest on the line. As many of you know, uh, one of my favorite clubs in the area is the Kenosha Comedy Club at the Wyndham Hotel in Kenosha. And this week they've got a special guest. They've got a great comedian joining them. They've got Steve and Michael Quezada, who joins me on the line. Hey, Michael, how are you doing? Uh, Steve, Michael, what do you go by? Steve, Michael, all of it? Steven, Steven Michaels by name. Yeah, there was uh, when I was in school, there was a bunch of Stevens, so they... They made us all use both names, and it stuck. <laughs> Stephen Michael Quesada. Uh, where where are you from originally, my friend? I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. My uh, my sister moved there. She It's weird because my mom's from Mexico, but I'm half Irish and half Mexican, and my half-sister, who's Irish and German, moved to Albuquerque. It was very confusing for me. I was like, okay, if you're going to move to the Southwest, you're not going to do well with all those freckles. I'm just saying. It's a... <laughs> uh, Oh, you, you look at some of my nephews, you would say, yeah, those aren't Kesala. That's not a Kesala. <laughs> yeah. That's just the way it happens. You don't know what gene you're going to get. You yeah, know? exactly. So tell me, uh, I know that uh, uh, a lot of folks are excited about your appearance uh, at the Kenosha Comedy Club. Uh, people know you perhaps from Breaking Bad, which I'm guessing had to be just a lot of fun to film and be a part of. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a one in a million shot that you get on a show that kind of, you know, that goes to that level. So I'm very, very blessed to have been able to be a part of that whole television history. What was that call like when you when they said, hey, you're auditioning for this? You know, because, you know, we, we go on lots of auditions and there's more obviously rejections yeah. than there are uh, the big yes. And in particular, something like this, like what was that emotion like for you? Uh, I was driving down the road and I think I almost wrecked because, <laughs> uh, you know, because the pilot was so brilliantly written and I knew that this possibly could be, you know, a good gig. I didn't know it was going to be that big, but um, I, you know, I really loved the script. I loved the pilot, and I just, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm a comic by trade. I mean, I'm, I'm used to being on the road, and I thought this would be life-changing where I didn't have to travel for six months out of the year. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was uh, that big. It was that huge, and so it was a relief. Uh, because, you know, I have three daughters, and so uh, I knew that I would be able to spend more time with my children. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it makes a big difference in our careers. And it, it also, I mean, work begets work. That's the thing that, for us, you know, comedy is feast or famine. You know, it's you yeah. know sometimes it's a great week or a great year. Like, we, I've talked to a lot of comics. You know, we, we discuss how, you know, you look at your calendar, you're like, okay, I'm still going to be a comic in July. But when you can get a steady gig, especially something like this, uh, where you can say, hey, I, you know, and do people ask you, they're like, they're like, what kind of reactions do you get when people recognize you as uh, the DEA agent, Stephen Gomez? Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm just blessed. I, I'm happy. I, I talk to fans and, you know, I'm, I'm always hit up at the, at the airports and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just blessed that somebody even knows who I am. I, I got recognized in, in Honduras 
and, you know, different places where you don't think you're going to get Jamaica, places that you don't think you're going to get recognized, and, and you do. And it's from people around the world. It's not even just people from the United States. It's people from around the world. I mean, this, this show broke borders. It broke, you know, it broke demographics. We didn't even have a demographic. We didn't have an age limit. Um, so to be a part of that, I'm just, like I said, I'm blessed to be a part of that. Uh, I'm cool because I love talking Breaking Bad with people. Uh, I was a huge fan on top of it. And, uh, you know, I was a big fan of everybody on the show. So, and, and the writers were brilliant. So I love talking about it for sure. And I'm blessed. That's awesome. And again, we're talking to Stephen Michael Quezada. He's performing at the Kenosha Comedy Club at the Wyndham Hotel. It's a, a wonderful venue. So how long have you been? When did you get started in comedy? How old were you? I was 24. Oh, you were a baby when you started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was. I was a theater actor. I, I studied Shakespeare and theater. Uh, then came home and realized they weren't going to put Mexicans in Shakespeare. Uh and so uh, I figured out something else. Yeah. Uh, for the meanwhile, right, to bring in money. Because um, my biggest dream when I was young was to have a car that started. Oh. Yeah. And so. <laughs> it's a good dream. Might get me there, right? I had this huge dream that, you know, that I turned the key and it would start. And so I really had to work for that. And uh, so comedy was a way in for me to continue because I was a playwright. And so. It was a way for me to write and still be a live performing artist. And so I, I kind of went that direction and fell in love with it and never really looked back at film or television. Because when I was in acting, there wasn't that many roles for for, for Chicanos like me. There, you know, one role a year, Pepe. Yeah. And you had oh, I know. a thousand of us to play Pepe. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the odds were bad. It was, it was easier to get a lottery ticket. And... Uh, so I just went into comedy and looked back, and then 2005, I was getting a little road-weary, and my wife's the one that told me, you know, you need to try the acting again. That's what you loved at first. You should try it. You should go back. And I did, and then it was funny because 2007 is when I walked into the room where Vince Gilligan was sitting, and uh, and the reason why I got the role is because he had seen me at the comedy store. And yes! And he remembered one of my bits, and he said, man, you're funny, man. And, you know, he was casting comics and comedic, comedic actors to do this drama. So I fit into his game plan, and that's why I tell people, you never know when your break's going to hit. You never know when, uh, you know, that's why you got to be out there. You have to keep working. Yeah. got to dreams happening with your eyes wide open and you going out and hustling for it. Yeah, I mean, and look, I, I identify so much with, uh, you know, when I started in comedy and I and I got uh, listed with an agent in Chicago, you know, I called her one day and I said, well, you know, I haven't heard from you, I haven't had any auditions. And she said, well, we haven't had any roles for any young teenage pregnant moms or something like that. I looked really young and as though that yeah. was the only thing. And because our names, right, we could be anything. It's just that our yeah. our names, they see it on the headshot. Did anyone ever ask you to change your last name when you started out? They did. Yep. They did, I was when I was auditioning for Shakespeare and, and, and theater companies. They said your name doesn't, and I said they said I go. I told them well, that's what makeup and hair is for. That's why you have a makeup and hair department. I said, but that's fine. I go, but I, I, you know, I'm not changing my dad's name. Right. Uh, you know, he paid for my education, and uh, you know, that's the one thing I get to carry on is his name, and so I had to work harder and I had to wait longer, but I did, and I held on to that name. 
Yeah, I, I, I identify with that so much. They, uh, they asked me to change my name. And you're right, because it's important to be seen. We have to be seen in, in the entire variety of roles there are, including Shakespeare. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I, do you take mental note every time you see something? You're like, really? We had no room for any Latinos in this production? I mean, I do it all the time. Well, you know, I'll tell you a story. You know, my comedy special came out and uh, it's called The New Mexican. It's on Amazon Prime. And uh, and we had a meeting with Netflix. And so uh, me, my agent, my manager, and then all their people at Netflix. And, you know, they said, well, we loved it. It was funny. You know, we really related to it. It was great. But, you know, we already have three Latinos that we're, you know, we're doing on Netflix. And I'm like, really? That's it? And, and I just... Because my agent texts me and says, please don't say something. Um, and, and I'm like, really? You have three spots for Latinos, but you got 800 spots yes. for, and, and 1,000 spots for, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, three spots for us? you got to be kidding me. Yeah, you've got eight Jim Gaffigan specials and Brian Regan's and Bill Burr and Mark Mike, Mike Babiglia. And look, uh-huh. I'm sorry, my head will explode if we go down this road too much longer. But yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's the tenacity. It's the endurance of it. Uh, what has, what yeah. have been some of your uh, most, like, you know, we all have a, a lot of, uh, I, I used to do a, a little, during the pandemic, I had a show called uh, Comedy Condo, and I had comics on to talk about their, just the road. Do you have any comedy, con- like, what would you say is the worst comedy condo you ever had to stay in? Oh, man. Uh, I've been pretty fortunate. There's <laughs> only been a few I had to stay in. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I'd have to say I'd have to say the one in Dallas. Okay. Yeah, because it, and, and it wasn't that I thought it was bad that my wife decided that she never went again, but she decided <laughs> to go on the road with you for this gig. I said, "Yeah, let's go," you know. And then we got to the condo. She goes, "Yeah, we're not staying here." Right. Because <laughs> it sounds said, romantic. Well, I, it does, right? I friend and I told him. Uh, I'm going to rent a room. Uh. <laughs> and it's funny because comedy club owners will get offended. They're like, what's wrong? What's wrong with where I put you up? You got a problem with it? Oh, I know. Yeah. It's, it's, more often, bro. it's cleaning more often and we won't have a problem, man. You got you got to show up. <laughs> <laughs> so when 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 you're uh, when you're performing, I mean, it's it's just got to be so much fun now to have a whole new audience too. Because my my agent used to call me a uh, non drawing headliner, meaning I had the material, I could close a show, I did well when I was on stage. But you know, people don't know who I am. But people, you, you putting Breaking Bad has got to help so much too, doesn't it? It has a whole new world for you. It did. You know, I was normally just a West Coast sort of Southwest type of comic because. I didn't have a big name. People liked me. I could go in. I could make people laugh. You know, I had somewhat of a following because I've been doing it so long, but I wasn't a big draw name. And that, unfortunately, is part of this business because I know so many super funny people that probably will never, no one will ever know them, you know, because of that, you know. But I get it, right? At the end of the day, it's a business, and you got to put, you know, you got to put behinds in the seats. And so, um, but I'm like you, you know, I've always been strong enough. I've always been good enough. But you know, no. But I think George Lopez was the big break for me, uh, even at that level that I was. Because it wasn't for George, I wouldn't even be in the Southwest, you know, playing them clubs. Because he called him, he says, "No, man, you got to." You've got to see this guy, and you know I don't help nobody. <laughs> That's great. You know, 
especially another Latino, you know, because it's a competitive yeah. type of business. And uh, he goes, and I'm telling you, I met him in New Mexico. He don't live in L.A. He's from New Mexico. Because, you know, I'm Native, I'm Native American and Spanish, so mm-hmm. I'm Navajo and Spanish. So, uh, you know, we see things a little different in New Mexico, and he liked my style, and yet we were both kind of Chicano style, and so it is hard for him to promote that. But he did, and we're still the best of friends. That's wonderful. That really is. And it's hard. You're right. I mean, it is competitive. It's hard. You know, for, you know, look, I'm a woman in comedy and a Latina, which is an even smaller demographic. And to your point, they would often, they won't put two women on a show. Just like the thing with Netflix. Well, we've already got, we've got, we've already checked that box. Right. And we don't have to. (laughs) It's so weird. And that's the problem with Netflix. People choose. Yeah. It's not. It's not like a network where, you know, they're making the decisions on what we watch at six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. These people look through your, you know, your online, you know, uh, new media, and they decide on what they're going to watch, you know. Right. A friend of mine just me uh, saying that he was watching my special on United Airlines. I mean, United Airlines is showing my special on the planes for the next six months, and he was so excited to see my special on his flight and I'm going, even United Airlines put in a Mexican. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> again, fo- fo- folks are messaging, they're like, who is this again? Because sometimes people are in their car or they're just jumping out. We're talking yeah. to Stephen Michael Quesada. You know him uh, as Agent Gomez from Breaking Bad. He's appearing at the Kenosha Comedy Club this weekend tonight with shows at 8 o'clock tonight and 8 o'clock tomorrow. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's 8 it's a great venue uh, right there by the harbor. And there's a great, by the way, there's a great restaurant across. If you like burgers, there's a great joint across the street. It's like a burger palace. They've got great. You uh, should have the lobster bisque there. Okay. So you know it already. <laughs> yes. It's a, they're chilly. Oh, yeah. I love that place. Captain something. I can't remember. Yeah. Captain uh, Michaels or something. I can't remember. Yeah. It's a, amazing. And uh, Stephen Michael Quesada also has a special, The New Mexican, on Amazon Prime, because Netflix can go stick it. Sorry, Netflix, unless you want a Latina, then we'll talk. But <laughs> right. just everybody, just, just people who are funny. That's, that, that should be their criteria. Absolutely. Well, for, in, the thing in, in, uh, in comedy for women was the trend became for a long time and continues in, in many ways. To, the raunchier, the more likely you are to get work. And not, and not just like likely, but that became because, you know, whether it was Chelsea or Sarah Silverman or uh, a lot of women who got, you know, Eric, Amy Schumer. So then other women were like, oh, that's how I get successful. I'll do it that way, which is fine. And you mentioned new media. How do you feel about like so many of the videos on TikTok or Instagram, all these reels? It's all crowd work. Are you? Are you encountering where people just want to have a conversation like they've been watching reels all day? Yeah. And not only that, they're, they're hiring these TikTok people and they have three minutes of uh-huh. comedy and content. And then they show comedy clubs and then people come in. And it's funny is that I guess they don't care, but I'm telling people, you need to be careful what you're going to do to stand up comedy because you got to have a set. You have to have hours of material we've been working on this forever and someone comes up with something funny that's within a three-minute content which i'm not against I, i'm for it I, I think that's brilliant i'm i'm down but is that really a headliner in a comedy club i'm not quite sure that's gonna yeah. last 
Yeah, I, yeah. I and look, I saw it happen. Maybe you did too. Uh, like about, I would say about ten, fifteen years ago. Same thing. It was uh, you know whether it was a YouTubers, uh, bloggers, and things like that that had a big following, and it went away. It went away within a couple of years because they would draw, and then like you said, not be able to fill the time. And it's fine. You're right. Yeah. It's a business. So the the not grow. what was that? They don't grow. Not be able to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to be out there uh, every single time. Uh, what uh, What are you work? Are you working on anything right now? I'm guessing always on new material, and uh, and connecting. Yeah, with- I've been a western. I did a comedy western, so I have this big giant mustache that I can't seem to uh, have the courage to shave off my face. But I did a comedy <laughs> western. It was called Harsh Treatment, and then before that, I did a thriller for Miramax called uh, Strange Darling with a really great director. Uh, J.T. Monier, and uh, it's a great thrill, thrill for Miramax. That will be hitting the theaters next year. So those are the two things that I've done as an actor, and, uh, and like you, continuing to audition and, and you know putting myself out there. But I'm on tour. I'm, I'm touring wherever uh, somebody hires me. I think I'm going to be at Walmart next week. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I'm a worker. I'll work. I'll, I'll do the job. I'll do what it takes. Uh, but because, uh, you know, I'm blessed and, and I'm grateful to the people who are fans of mine. And I'll go wherever there's a fan and, and I'll go and do my job. And so, again, I'm just excited to be here. What a beautiful place. Uh, I, I didn't I didn't realize how gorgeous it is. Gorgeous oh, it is it's here. a cute town. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It's beautiful. And uh, good people. I mean, people say hi. I mean, we are freezing walking around. So we said hi rather quickly. But <laughs> people say hi. And I come from a community like that, so I, I'm, I, I feel at home. This is awesome. I, well, real quick, let me take a call because the listener says they have a, a, a story, if you don't mind. Uh, again, we're talking oh, to, yeah. to Stephen Michael Quesada. Uh, you know him as Agent Gomez from Breaking Bad. He has his new special on Amazon called The New, Me- the new Mexican. Todd in Naperville, what's on your mind, Todd? Hey, hey, how are you doing, Patty? Hey. Good. I, 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 I I uh, listened to your conversation with uh, with your guests and stuff. I, I, I remember back in the day, I I, I did the movie uh, in 1996 and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, so I, I've been a up and coming actor or, or wannabe actor, if you want to call that. But. Yeah, you got you got to stick with it, Todd. You know, right, Stephen? You got to keep uh, you got to keep auditioning and, and sticking with it. It's not an easy it's not an easy road, right? Yeah, long road. It's a long, it's a long, long road. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I will say, uh, Stephen Michael Quesada, we, uh, we are glad that you're in the Midwest. I'm, I'm glad that you also. I know it was cold for you, but uh, it, this is mild, believe it or not. This is fantastic weather. Yeah. Oh, oh, Mexico, Albuquerque is five thousand feet elevation. Um, I think people think that I live in the in Arizona or Nevada. You know, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to live where it's Africa hot. No. Uh, just hot enough so I could play golf all the time. There That's you, where I'm at. There you go. Where can people find out more about your schedule and where, where you'll be next? Uh, you know, social media. Follow me on, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I always put out where I'm coming uh, each week. Uh, I'm headed to Alaska next, so you think you're cold. Nice. That'll be an adventure. <laughs> That'll be an adventure. We better pack. That was an adventure. I'm excited. 
That's awesome. I will follow you on, on Instagram right now and then find you on all the platforms. Again, Stephen Michael Quezada. Find him at the... Well, find, you can find him. Go see him. I mean, you don't have to just find him unless you want to buy him a burger at the, the joint across the street, which is fabulous. Uh, he's going to be at the Wyndham Comedy Club, uh, Kenosha. That's tonight at 8 o'clock, tomorrow at 8 o'clock. And uh, check out his special on Amazon Prime, which is the new Mexican. It was a pleasure to talk to you. I'd love to have you on again soon, not just when you're around, but if you want to catch us up, catch us up or promote something, please, we'd love to hear from you. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's awesome of you. I appreciate it. I'm probably going to... Uh, take you up on that. Yeah, I, I, I don't have, I, I produce a few shows around town, but I don't know if I can afford to bring you in. Uh, I'll, I'll figure something out, maybe with your routing. We'll see if you're uh, passing through Chicago and I'd love to book you. I have a great room called Tata's Kitchen and Social. It's a wonderful venue, so would love to have you there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's talk. All right. Have a great, have a cool. great weekend in Kenosha and uh, safe travels, my new friend. Really great to talk to Thanks. you. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. And hey, and thank you for helping pave the way because it's not easy for us at all. It uh, it takes more of us on stage to make it happen. So thank you. We're getting there. We're we are. Getting there. All right, <laughs> we are. Okay. If you say so, I'll believe you. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Let's let's take it. Let's bye bye. Let's take a break here and uh, catch up a little bit more. We've got a great guest coming up as well in a few moments. We've got uh, a Talman, this an, a writer who really wrote an incredible piece on uh, uh, wage theft and the uh, the uh, restaurant industry that I want you to know about. We have to be aware of these things. We're going to talk to Talman Joseph Smith in just a little bit on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal. This is Barry Maltz with the Small Business Radio Show. And like you, I've had a lot of businesses over the last 25 years. First, I went out of business. Then I got kicked out by my two partners. Then I sold my last business and I was able to pay back the bank the $1.3 million I owed them. And funny enough, my wife tells me I got her back just about the same time. Join me Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. right here on WCPT 820, where I show you how to get your small business unstuck, grow the company you've always wanted, and finally make the money that you deserve. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at A&S Wine and Spirits back in the Yards and Granite Western Liquors Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. In case you're wondering, I put all the uh, all, all the breaks together so we could have one long conversation with our guest. Talman Joseph Smith joins us. Uh, I've talked about wage theft before, and according to the Economic Policy Institute, wage theft is a bigger problem than other theft, but not enough is done to address it, and uh, that's because it's not as juicy. I was talking to Talman uh, earlier in the day. Hey, Talman, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm all right. I, uh, it's, it's been a, a, a long pandemic, and a, a lot of uh, industries like mine, I'm an entertainer, uh, have been hard hit, and the industry that you have been focusing on, the restaurant industry, obviously, took a major blow, and uh, some of the, the real fallout f- fell on the workers, the servers, the busboys, the uh, people who do the dishes, all those things. So I'm grateful for this piece that you've done. Tell, tell us a bit about when you started uh, researching, investigating wage theft and the restaurant industry industry? Sure. Well, you know, I, I guess in terms of the baseline motivations, um, I'm a, originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. And so, you know, we're a tourism city. We're a southern hospitality city. We're 
a service sector city. And so, you know, folks that are in the restaurant and drinks industry are people that I grew up around. They're often family or family friends. And so I guess it's always just an industry that I've had some familiarity with. So now as an economics reporter for the New York Times, um, I think like a lot of other people, I was um, really attracted to the the battles and the sort of rallying cries of um, there being better treatment, better um, valuing of quote unquote essential workers that uh, came up during the pandemic. And, you know, I just had this inkling of, all right, well, let's see, both in terms of public policy and public sentiment, how long is this going to last? And um, will it show up? Uh, you know, will, will this talk end up, you know, having people that walk the walk either, you know, through policy or whether it's individual businesses in the private sector? Um, how will these workers actually fare throughout the ups and downs of the pandemic and the reopening and so on? And so I've just tried to track that. And it's led me to essentially seeing how the inequalities that persisted before the pandemic are persisting in uh, new ways, despite some uh, recent wage gains that folks in the service industry have been able to garner. Now, I, now I was a server back in the 90s. I have not uh, bartended or been a waitress uh, for that long. Uh, so I, you know, when I was working in the 90s, it was it was about what a lot of folks still make, which is as low as I think I was making two dollars and thirty five cents in Illinois. And uh, for bartending at the time, we were getting four fifty. Uh, now I'm not what, I'm not familiar with uh, the, the provision known as a, the tip credit. Um, I have never heard of this. What where is this uh, uh, applied? And and what what exactly is it? Sure. So the federal minimum wage, which everybody's vaguely familiar with, um, has risen just once since 1996. Now it's at seven twenty five. And while there's that minimum wage that is general, there's also a sub-minimum wage that tip workers are allowed to be paid, which has been as low as $2, um, $2.13 specifically since 1991. Now, of course, there's on a state-by-state case um, areas of the country that have decided to uh, bring the general minimum wage much higher. Um, We've seen that due to Fight for 15 and other movements. Um, But even in some of those states, um, actually, most states, the subminimum wage is still there. And so your waiters, your servers, often um, barbacks and bussers with varying degrees of legality, are still often experiencing hourly base pay that is at $2. And that's not changed since uh, you, know, you were a server, um, yeah. as, as you just put it. And you know, people ask, well, how is this legal? And it's a bit murky. But the by the book definition is that you can be paid two dollars on the expectation that that hourly base wage will be supplemented by tips, and that at the end of a pay cycle you will have made up what you may not have made, <laughs> um, and that some will bring you to a minimum wage or better. And more fine print by the book, technically, if you don't come to minimum wage pay or higher in a given pay cycle. Your boss is supposed to let you know that that was the case and cover the difference. A report I did this fall um, after months of, um, you know, calling and uh, crawling through all types of uh, bars and restaurants throughout the country is that that fine print is often not followed. Um, And uh, it's it's something that understandably um, outrages people, but 
um, the, the minimum wage is a sensitive issue for a lot of folks, particularly because they are sensitive to the gripes and fears of small businesses, um, which in a low margin uh, business like the restaurant industry um, you know, is able to garner a lot of sympathy for you know, increased costs, including labor. Right. And, and right now, look, I get that, that buying the goods is, is getting harder, um, but to, to put it uh, on the backs of those who are, you know, doing this, the, the, the heavy lifting often is, is a lot. And you mentioned in one of your articles going back, I think this is in October, because um, this is something I, I actually just mentioned about the entertainment industry and in, in that there is a feast or famine nature to it. You're going to have, you know, seasons that are better, uh, days of the, of the, just even hours of the day that are better than others. You might have a heavy lunch rush and then you're doing nothing for four hours. So you've made all your money in two hours and then that, and then you're just basically, you know, prepping everything for the dinner shift, that's going to be somebody else, right. right? Right. And and one of the really sort of nasty things that, you know, I've, I've seen and in many cases heard that goes on is, you know, let's say you're a young waitress and you see um, abuse going on in terms of uh, wage violations. Well, if you're going to report that or complain about that, your boss, well, your boss is also the person that is in control of who gets the really great brunch shifts or the Friday night shifts, et cetera, et cetera. So by speaking up and trying to just make things better within your own workplace, often you're risking your own take-home pay, which, as you just said, is often feast or famine. And as you know, people that have rent to pay, kids to feed, uh, food that they need to eat, right, um, that's, that's risky business. Yeah, it really is. And and you mentioned, so with some of these situations where, uh, you know, I I never had to report to the restaurants or the bars how much I got in tips unless they were credit. They obviously would know whether if, if something was charged. And I, I always encourage people to, to, to tip in cash. Just That's just me. Because there is sort of that, if they're going to be playing games, I think it's sort of assumed by the, by the servers that they're playing games, so then they end up playing games, don't they? in order to protect themselves or take home as much as they possibly can and protect themselves from taxes, right? Right, yeah. I mean, and so this is a a point that I've had some maybe conservative-leaning readers make to me, and I don't disagree with them. Um, You know, it it is true that often, uh, you know, waiters, waitresses, bartenders aren't fully reporting all of their income to the IRS. Um, You know, neither are a lot of wealthy people, but that's different. Yeah, they don't (laughs) care about that. Yeah. Um, but, but there are downsides to it, right? Because, you know, I was talking, um, our work trip when I was in Seattle to a bartender who said that, you know, because he's in a place where actually, you know, they kind of value him a bit more than, you know, the average worker, he's being able to get good shifts. Um, he gets good pay, but his pay on paper, um, was not adequate enough to get a house that, you know, in reality he could afford, but his W2 you know, suggested that he can only afford a house that was $100,000 less in value and so on and so on. Right. And so even when workers try to work around some of these disadvantages that they have, you, in formalized ways in this economy, can still get stuck um, with falling behind. Now, one, yeah, I, uh, it, it's, again, like you said, uh, this is this is something where workers are, are trying the best they can to whether it's you know survive to thrive uh, to plan for their own futures, which is really hard in general for anybody. But you also uh, write about how uh, some of this wage theft actually f- helps fund keeping their wages down through lobbyists, right? Right. So 
that kind of touches on uh, the latest piece that I did, an investigative story with um, my colleague David Farnhold, um, in which we basically found out that um, the National Restaurant Association, which is the largest food service industry group, uses mandatory $15 or so food safety classes, uh, which are ubiquitous to anybody that works in the restaurant industry. If you, if you know the industry, you know the name of this food safety class company, ServeSafe. And that 15 or 20 bucks goes to turning waiters and cooks unwittingly into funders of a battle against minimum wage increases because ServeSafe is owned, it's an LLC, it's a for-profit business, but it's owned by the Business League, a 501c6 nonprofit, the National Restaurant Association. And the National Restaurant Association actually used to own ServeSafe underneath, um, you know, a, a charity, essentially. And, you know, they did things like, you know, scholarships for um, aspiring cooks and things like that. Um, they decided about 15 years ago to buy that from the charity and turn ServeSafe into an indirect uh, fundraising vehicle for the restaurant industry broadly. Wow. So what kind of reaction have you gotten from, I mean, because this is something that we we have no idea about. So this this sort of built-in funnel for wages, it's crazy to me. What, what are you hearing from yeah, servers? Um, <laughs> well, it was a really wild thing to report on because on the one hand, I'm finding out things, disbelieving it, proving it, saying, wow, you know, almost to myself, um, and then going out, asking workers what they knew about it, finding out that they didn't know about it. They have their own WTF moment, <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better term. And so I almost got these like cinematic in real time reactions of, of disgust and outrage. Um, obviously, that was multiplied um, many times over once you know we published the piece in, in, in the Times on, on on the front page and you know got a lot of responses. But we also found that even some restaurateurs did not know about this, that, that they were pushing um, serve safe as the sort of Kleenex of the food safety class industry. I mean, there are other options, but they're, they're not named brand in the way that serve safe is. And there are even some relatively well-meaning restaurateurs are not maybe doing all the things that workers would like them to do, but they're at least paying all their workers a base level $15 an hour, things like that. And those, you know, relatively progressive businessmen and, and then women, were also offended by this. And so it was, it was, it was fascinating to learn that even, you know, the, the California head of the AFL CIO didn't know about this and, and they're actually in a battle right now in California um, to, you know, give workers greater leverage in terms of pay and, and, and health benefits. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it's a really um, crafty and, and deaf system that, at least until now, the National Restaurant Association has been able to craft along with its state affiliates to um, keep a low visibility but high level of profit just to give you all some numbers. And I have to thank um, my colleagues Tiff Fair and Will Hoop, who helped us you know, really just dig into the data here. Um, more than 3.6 million workers have taken the training um, since Whoa. 2010, providing $25 million in revenue to this lobbying arm of the restaurant industry. And that is more than the restaurant association spent on lobbying in that same period, according to IRS filings that we dug into. Um, and just lastly, that 25 million um, is more than half of the amount its actual members paid 
in dues, which is really remarkable because most industry groups, as as most people vaguely familiar with the Washington influence industry uh, would guess, are reliant on big dollar donors or membership, uh, excuse me, membership support itself to meet their expenses. And so the NR, this other NRA, it's sort of um, sometimes distinctly called, um, you know, did a really good job creating a non-dues support system for um, its, its lobbying operations. It's paid off uh, up huh. until now, generally. This is all. This is just fascinating. I mean, this this is another layer, and like some of what you write is that the, the sort of the, this web of all these relationships and connections and the way this is run, uh, whether it's the wages or again this issue with the lobbyists. How are our restaurants responding to? You know, I know that there are efforts to unionize and in different areas, whether it's in coffee shops and things like that. Have you seen any of that uh, around? Because it's it's too hard, I would think, for workers. We're they're they're all basically, um, you know, kind of, as we said, feast or famine. Is there a move to unionize in certain places? Yeah, so there, there is a move to unionize across the country, as you mentioned, whether it's Amazon, Starbucks, um, even Whole Foods. Now we see, you know, Apple um, stores in some cases. Um, there, there are folks that work in the service sector, not all having to do with food, that are pushing back. And yet, yeah, in totality, despite those encouraging headlines, we've actually seen union density de- decrease in percentage terms over the past year. Um, the Niskanen Center um, has actually put out new numbers about this um, that, that are that are helpful. Um, but you know, on the horizon, uh, one of the the folks that I covered in this piece is uh, Saru Jarman, who uh, is the head of One Fair Wage, um, which is a group that is designed with the very full-on uh, intent to end the practice of subminimum wages, period. Um, you know, there are states like California, Oregon, Washington State, but not just the blue states, also Montana and Alaska um, do not have a subminimum wage, which means that uh, it's not that tips are banned. People get tipped in Montana. People get tipped in Alaska. Um, but it comes, you know, starting from the gentleman wage that you might make working retail or driving a bus or, you know, being a caretaker, whatever else that is. And her group, along with a lot of other labor groups, you know, the SEIU and, and, and others are aligned with them. You know, they have their own sort of counter movement that they're trying to assemble, particularly this year, now that midterms have passed and there are, you know, many states that have, um, you know, become more progressive, gotten more blue, that are blue trifecta states, so to speak, where all three branches of power are underneath um, the Democratic Party. They're hoping to take some of those wins. Um, and in about nine states, many of them, if not all of them, I have to double check, um, blue trifecta states, get legislation um, passed in both chambers and signed by that given governor to um, phase out the subminimum wage. And if that was to come to fruition, then, I mean, that would amount to, in many cases, uh, you know, 50% or more increase in base pay for a lot of workers, um, which would be a big deal and, and would not include unionization, uh, but nevertheless have some of the effects of increasing uh, labor gains that we associate with unions. 
And how is the uh, restaurant industry uh, faring now with you know folks saying no one wants to work, no one wants. To, uh, I know in Chicago yeah. we are we are yeah we are still having uh, a lot of restaurants that maybe are, are going down to less nights. Uh, you know, and and the, uh, we've even had restaurants in the area. One one place closed, and he did. This guy put up a big sign that said, you know, no one wants to work, and uh, and a lot of a lot of people saying that like when they schedule for interviews, uh, folks aren't showing up. Are, are you seeing a lot of that in New York? or around the country as well? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put on for, for two seconds my establishment, you know, uh, mainstream reporter hat, uh-huh. um, but then put a little bit of a twist on it. You know, it, it is true that it's much harder to hire. Um, you know, the, the baby boomers are aging out of the workforce. Um, the millennial generation is, is very large, largest sense of baby boomers, but you know, it's not enough to make up for the level of demand that we have in the, con- in the economy. Um, there's a large political contingency in this country that wanted to stymie immigration. Uh, congrats, they got what they wanted. Yep. <laughs> but also, congrats, that means that there's not as much immigrant work. Um, and a lot of those folks, um, you know, take lower wage jobs because for them it's a it's a pay boost from from often the countries they were coming from. Um, so that's been eliminated. And yeah, it's it's also true that you know, people are making you know people. It's been called the great resignation by some economists, and now that's kind of the marquee phrase. I'm not sure how much I agree with the premise of it, but a great rethinking or whatever you want to call it. People are reevaluating what they want to do with their lives. Yes, locked up for 18 months or more, and some people decided, you know, do I want to sit over a hot stove and and, and not have health care? Um, you know, maybe I'll try to get a job doing customer service, and I also have a four year old kid, and I can and more time with my four-year-old kid and make just as much money or maybe even a little bit more money. Um, does that sometimes show up in frustrating ways for small business people um, who may not have uh, as much wiggle room as you know Walmart or Amazon to increase pay if they're used to paying people $12 an hour? Yeah, that's. I, I bet there's a whole bunch of listings for you know $16 an hour line cooks, which on paper and in econ um, white papers might look like a big pay boost, but there's a whole bunch of other people that have options now. And so, yeah, maybe they tell you they're going to show up and, and they don't. And, you know, that's not very nice. And if you say you're going to show up somewhere, I, I, I suppose you should. Um, but, you know, I, I, when I talk to workers around the country, they're like, yeah, well, you know, now you know a little bit of how it feels like for us. <laughs> right. Um, now, now the um, burdens of, you know, finding ways to make things work for yourself in this economy and, you know, capitalist economy, which has a, you know, by design, not that forgiving safety net. Uh, some businesses are sharing in that. Um, but I should add, it's it's not so terrible. I mean, right now, you know, we, we expect sort of on a macro, macroeconomic level, um, there's a decent chance of maybe there being a recession sometime this year, or early next. But in the meantime, one of the biggest complaints you see around the country is, well, we can't find enough workers. And almost by definition, economically, if your problem is business is so good that we can't find the labor to keep up with serving you know, the demand we're getting, that, that suggests <laughs> that the economy is actually doing quite well because your, your problems are trying to meet where the economy is not laying people off because things are so slow and you no longer need that labor. Um, so it's, it's a mixed bag and, and, um, you know, I, I don't want to diminish the, um, problems that various businesses have faced over the past three years. Um, there's been plenty of challenges, but, um, there've been plenty of challenges for everybody. 
So well, and the other um, thing that's not quantifiable is uh, the toxic work environment. You mentioned uh, when we spoke earlier the show Bear. Uh, I mean, working yeah. in a restaurant, it's hard to explain to people unless you've ever done it. I remember I would work a double, and I couldn't. I, I like even when I try to close my eyes at night, all I could hear were clacking plates and being yelled at, and like the the sensory overload. You you, the, you go from one customer that loves you, and the next table they hate you. The emotional ups and downs. It's it is it's not easy work. It's grueling, and uh, and I, I mean you know to your point about people not showing up to interviews. I, I have a joke. Uh, I also do stand up comedy that. Uh, I've, I've quit. So I used to walk out in the middle of the shift and not show up again. There's some restaurants I'm afraid to go into because I'm pretty sure I still work there. But I mean, it would get so bad. <laughs> and you must know that for women and people of color, there's different kinds of uh, hurdles there, too. Um, you know, I had a manager that I, he took a beer. I was trying to carry some beers and he, and he grabbed one and he put one in my chest pocket and rubbed it against my breast. And he's like, how's that feel? Like that kind of stuff. I, that's, that's from almost 30 years ago. And I remember that, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah, that, that's 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 quite awful. Yeah, but I'm saying, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot to the restaurant industry that you know we talk about this part and people complain about the you know everyone always thinks of reservoir dogs. I can't remember who it was that didn't want to tip. Um, so, uh, so I tip well. Do you? So um, I I have the feeling you have a very strong background in economics. Is that your was that your major? Or no, no, it was really, and, and I and I I have no problem mentioning that to people because you know it, so much of econ gets wrapped up in um you know incredibly um prideful overcomplicated phrases like for i'll mention one right now that i was just joking with a coworker about you know downward nominal wage rigidity oh my um, god <laughs> is, is, a, is a phrase that to a normal person that's and not just normal meaning like oh you have an average brain, but just any normal person that would prefer to communicate by being clear, downward nominal wage rigidity is just saying that, well, even when times get tough, if you're paying somebody a certain wage, it's kind of hard to give them a pay cut because if you give them a pay cut, they'll probably want to quit. Sure. So it's, it's, it's more likely that you're going to keep them or if you really got to let them go, you're going to fire them. And and so I mean there and I don't want to diminish like especially the folks that have been in the trenches, PhD economists, uh, particularly most of whom I think are egalitarian, and so on and so on. Um, but I, I do think that the economics profession and the economics reporting profession, you know, we've all got to do a better job, and and I'm trying to do a better job um, month by month, year by year, of of taking these. Um, seemingly complex subjects, not to say that the world isn't incredibly complicated, but challenging ourselves to communicate clearly, which often means simply, because if, if anything, you know, it's easy to lean on complexity and, and shorthand to sort of get around to messaging something. And, and what's harder to do sometimes is to take a series of complicated realities and, and boil them down to, you know, without dumbing them down, boiling them down to, their understandable um, essence, and 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 so you know that's that's what I've tried to do, and uh, throughout last summer and this fall, and with these last couple of pieces focused on restaurant labor, and um, I don't know how much time we have left, but one thing that I, I want anybody who's listening to think about, because um, it's taken some time for me to think about and process too. One of the things right now that the Federal Reserve, <laughs> which is home to the most powerful economists in our country and, and the world, and they control the cost of money, interest rates, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things they're worried about right now is they look at overall wage gains mm -hmm. um, 
in percent terms. And right now it's coming down, but at one point it was nearing, you know, six, 7%. Um, and they see that as being inconsistent with price stability, as they put it, because in their eyes, and there is some just absolute truth to this, if the cost of labor is increasing continually at a higher level than businesses are used to, they're going to do all they can to pass on that increased cost to the customer, and you can kind of get yep. a nasty spiral out of that. Oh, dear. But it's important to have a lot of asterisk when you speak about that because, I mean, we think about our economy and communicate about it in percent change very often. And one simple way to break that down, to give a number 10 bucks an hour, you know, if uh, you see a news headline that, you know, low wage workers are earning 30% more than they did last year. Um, that's a huge number. We're nowhere near there, but in some cases, some individual businesses might, you know, be increasing the, 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 their base pay of their lowest paid worker by 30%. Okay. Well, if you're paying somebody 10 bucks an hour, which plenty of people in this country are, that person is now making a whopping amount of $13 an hour. Uh, right. <laughs> so, Cause it's from 10 to 13. And so it's, 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 it's important to um, kind of have that, economic literacy, I guess you could call it, in mind when, uh, you know, you might come across a, a talking point or a scary chart that doesn't have context. Um, so, so I have that's, a big, that's uh, my, yeah, my, no, bit, my bit of news you can use. No, and I'm going to ask you, and I mentioned this when we spoke on the phone today, uh, that I would love to check in with you again and, ha- and have and, and lean on you a little bit, rely on you for that literacy when we see things like that, those charts, those, those numbers, those talking points. If you're, if you're up for it, uh, we'd love to have you back. Sure thing. Excellent. We've been talking to Talman Joseph Smith. You can find his work in the New York Times, his latest piece uh, that I that caught my attention, and I'm so grateful to have found it. I'm sure someone retweeted it. I'm like, yes, wage theft. Let's do this. Uh, so we'd love to have you back. Find his work. Follow him on Twitter. And uh, I just sent you. I'm going to send you a link so you can see. Uh, you can share with folks if you want the. I had a live stream. I forgot to, t- to sh- tell you that earlier. So um, just so you know. I mean, we had your picture up there and everything. Thank you. So that was excellent. I really loved having you on and uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Okay. All right. You all take care. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, I'll take your phone call. 773-763-9278 is the number to join our conversation. More after this on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Light at the end of the tunnel. Light at the end of this tunnel. That light at the end of the tunnel. Your guiding light. That light is going to get brighter and brighter. Through another day. I think it's a great day. The Joan Esposito Show. Live, local, and progressive. Weekday afternoons at 2 on WCPT 820. WCPT 820. Chicago's progressive talk. Where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. In your communities in Chicago. On WCPT 820. Yeah, we'd love to take your call, 773-763-9278. want to take care of, cover a couple things. One, I want to say, say sorry to Todd. Uh, I got disconnected with you uh, earlier when you were, we were talking to Stephen Michael Quezada. Also, he, I needed to uh, wrap up with him because he was getting ready for his show. I got a text that uh, he needed to go. So my apologies, Todd. Uh, Todd says that the rest of his story, if you were listening earlier, he was talking about a short film he did uh, in the 90s called Cookie. And he also then was contacted for an acting job on Lawn 
Order and SVU, which is very cool. Uh, I'm sorry, Law and Order SVU. So got an act- acting job there. That's part of what we were talking about. Was like you know got to keep showing up and and, uh, and taking your swings. Uh, also want to uh, remind folks, hey, we have a pair of tickets. We have two pairs of tickets to give away today for the mayoral forum, the WCPT WCPT Chicago Mayoral Forum coming up on January 26th. That'll be uh, at the Morning Star Auditorium, and the doors are going to open at 10:30. Lunch is at 11. We're serving lunch, and the forum begins at 12:15. So if you think you're available, please call. I definitely think you can come. We'd love for you to come. So here's my. Uh, this is a. Uh, a, a I'm going to test you to make see if you're listening to Jones' show too. What was the name of the dog? They were uh, was the pet of the week. The adopt the dog that they're trying to find a home a forever home for from the Anti Cruelty Society. Do you remember Lady B? Is that too hard? Do you remember the name of the dog? No, the long leggy teenage dog that they were talking about. Seven seven three seven six. This might be a hard one, so you can call or text. I will take both those answers. Call or text if you're able to join us for the the WCPT Chicago Mayoral Forum uh, coming up on uh, on January twenty sixth. Seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight for your chance to win a pair of tickets. You can call or text us with that answer, and I'll do two. What's the name of the restaurant show based in Chicago that we referenced in my interview? you with uh, Talman. That's easier, right? Because it's a restaurant. I'm giving you all the hints. 773-763-9278 for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the Chicago Mayoral Forum. Hosted by WCPT, Jonas Bezito will be there. Uh, Santita Jackson and I will be there as well. Excited. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be heated because that that it, that uh, debate last night. Oh, my God. Did you hear what Willie Wilson said? He said that if someone's going to run, the police should either run or drive after them and hunt them down like rabbits. What? But I, okay, I'm just I, it's not, okay. Anyway, uh, so let's take our calls. Uh, Jim is calling calling about the conversation we were having about the the service industry, right, Jim? Yeah, yeah, Teddy. Uh, but the Republicans have a long history of wage theft. Yep. I mean, it goes back to uh, the beginning. But I work for the bartenders, waiters, and waitresses union in Reno. I organized in Reno, Nevada. When I got back to Chicago after Reagan took office in the in eighty, the bartenders and waitresses were complaining because they had a floor under their wigs. They make like one hundred forty bucks a week just just for showing up there. They didn't have to worth the penny on tips. Well, Reagan said, "Well, now let's see. You're making about two hundred fifty. Well, we'll cut that down. Like they were getting checks for fourteen bucks, and they had to live on the tips. Now that's how diabolical this imbecile was. Anyway, but then what are we going to do? We can't do anything. We can't cry over spilt milk. But they've been stealing wages since the beginning of time. Yep. But anyway, uh, I just say that uh, you saw Trump got fined a million dollars. Yes." Down there, by they finally they finally had a judge with half a brain cell working, and said that uh, you know he was overdoing it with the frivolous lawsuit. I mean, the lawsuit the lawsuit was just uh, from the outer space. You know, uh, he named uh, Comey. We should have been sued for putting him in office to begin with, but Comey, uh, Hillary Clinton. And whoever else conspired with the, you know the saying that the Russians conspired against him. I mean, that's how crazy this guy is. And I also like to say real quick, 
because I know it's the weekend and I want you to have a great weekend. Well, before you say something else, wait, wait, before we go to the, the sign-off, did you see that then after he was fined that million dollars for the frivolous lawsuits, he dropped one of his cases in New York to avoid another fine? Like, they're, they're starting to, you know, like, okay, oh, maybe, because he has hundreds. There was a point where he just, if he didn't want to pay something, he would just sue somebody back, Right. Right, right. We can't be embarrassed. The man cannot yeah. be embarrassed. Yeah. Let's face it. Not to embarrass the man. But uh, what was I going to say? Uh, Before we get to the weekend, the, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the economy seems to be in great shape. But the small businesses are in a record level. Wages are at a record level. Employment's at a record level. I think Biden's going to announce in February with the help of God that he's going to run again because I, I'm sure that nobody could beat Trump. So it looks like... Uh, the rematch, Ali and Frazier, in 2024, I'm alive to see it. Anyway, Patty, you have a great weekend, and thanks for taking my call. Of course. Have, have a great weekend, Jim. I'm looking forward to the fireworks between DeSantis and uh, and Trump. They're just going to go after each other. That should be quite the circus. Bob has the answer for uh, which question is it, the restaurant or, I mean, the name of the show or the name of the dog that Joan was uh, highlighting earlier? No, I listened to Joan and... If that dog's name isn't Popeye, I don't know. <laughs> I'm so, it's it, it was it, it, it was Apollo. It was Apollo. But you call? Are you able to go to the? Uh, are you able to go to the event on, on Thursday, the twenty sixth? Yeah, I went online today and I saw that you guys aren't even taking any more registrations online. So I'm very happy to go. Yes, we would love to have you come. And uh, there's going to be lunch. There's going to be uh, fireworks. I'm sure from the candidates. Uh, who are you most interested in hearing from on their their stance on issues for this debate? Well, I listened to a lot today. I have to say I don't know her name off the top of my head, but the um, of course I support Lori. Well, I will be very interested in hearing. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot's responses, but um, who's the other female? Uh, is she an older woman that's running? Yes, older woman, Sophia King. Yes, a uh, very bright-sounding woman. So, um, yeah, I'd be interested in both of those candidates' answers. Excellent. Yeah, the, the polling... I'm, I'm not interested in going down the rabbit hole with Willie. Yeah, I hear you. I don't know if folks know this, but there's a story that's breaking with the Chicago Tribune. Uh, Ray Long and Jason Jason Meisner are reporting that the unidentified congressman in federal comment conspiracy documents is U.S. Rep. Jesus Chewy Garcia. Now, I don't know. What uh, what the, whether it was he was giving them information, you know, uh, working with them to uh, investigate more. Uh, he's not accused. Here we go. Not accused of wrongdoing. And through a spokesman denies he played a role in the push by Madigan to appoint Juan Ochoa to the utilities board. So I don't know, but that's not a great headline. Then say that not accused of wrongdoing, but involved in the investigation. Right. See, I clicked on it. Oh, man. Yeah. And my son, he did an internship at the White House under Trump, and he was by the House today, and he said uh, he was bringing up the mayoral election to a lot of Latinx uh, colleagues, and they don't want him. I Well, and a lot of, well, here, this is why I said last week, I was really surprised that uh, Congresswoman Delia Ramirez, who Chewy helped in her race, put a, uh, oh, yeah, she's not endorsing him. She's endorsing uh, Brandon Johnson. She's very... Yeah, like with with her full chest. <laughs> it's like, yeah, she's not not hesitant about. It. I was really surprised by that. 
So you're right. I got two words. I got two words for you after listening to you in the rain last night. Um, foam roller. You need to get a foam roller for your back. Oh, <laughs> I have one. I actually, I do. I've done a lot of PT. It does come down yeah. to some structural issues that uh, are pressing on my spinal cord. So. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Oh, good luck with that. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, hold on the line, and uh, Lady B will get your information, and we look forward to seeing you at the uh, the forum, the mayoral forum, next Thursday, the 26th. Yeah, great. Your show keeps getting better and better, Patty. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. After this cold, I hope it's even better. But, man, this thing is lingering. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Have a great weekend. That's my God invented Vino. That's <laughs> there you go. Have a great weekend and my best to your family. Hang, hang on for Lady B. Thanks. Let's take a break here. Uh, you take your phone calls and your texts at seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. That's seven seven three seven six three. Nine two seven eight. I'm trying to. Oh, here. And I want to thank our sponsors of the text screen, sponsored by Camp Kubagani, a child summer of empowerment, challenge, and fun. Go to go to multiculturalcamp.com to learn more. More after this on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal. This is WCPT eight twenty, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Dino's Cardinal Liquors in Gurney, Illinois, and Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park, as well as in Chicago at Jarvis Square Tavern, Rogers Park, and Garfield's Beverage Express Wicker Park. Please drink responsibly. Street waiting on track nine. Every year when summer came around, I drop my bag, walk upstairs, find a window view on my own in Albuquerque bound. Rolling from Chicago out into the plains, farmland. Feels drifting by Flying through Missouri Towards the setting sun Couldn't wait to see the Colorado sky It's a little uh, Chris Jones and the Night Drivers That's uh, Riding the Chief And I believe he's got some new music out So go to uh, Chris Jones and the Night Riders website To find out uh, what they have in store for you And Chris Jones also hosts a great uh, blue gla- grass uh, show on SiriusXM. So follow him and find all the great work that they, that they do. Really wonderful musicians. You can go to chrisjonesgrass.com. That's chrisjonesgrass.com. Thanks for hanging out with us. I got Oh, we got Steve on the line. Is it Steve Gold Coast, Steve? Yes. Hey, Steve Gold Coast, Steve. How you doing? Oh, on my way to a restaurant for restaurant week, but uh, oh, wh- I call you where, during the ride. Where are you headed? Uh, over to Mastro's. I love it. My yes. Favorite, you know. Oh, do you know? Do you already know what you're ordering? I mean, do they? Oh, they have a, the prefix. Oh, yeah. 
Do they have a prefix? They've got the restaurant menu, yeah, the, the restaurant menu, restaurant week menu. So, yeah, it's kind of fixed. But, uh, yeah, you can't go wrong there. No, no. So, I'm super yeah, jealous. Great, great place. It's a, it's, but there's like five of them across the country. And though it's a chain, I love it. I mean, it's just great. But, oh, I agree. Uh, enough, of my, enough, enough plugging Mastro's. Uh, so I, I wanted to bring up the, the, you know, I mean, we're in this season of the Chicago mural race and other races, but, uh, you know, somebody really does need to raise this process question. You know, why is it that in a city like Chicago, we have a mayoral election in February? And for people who don't know it, I mean, this is by design. It was a way to give city workers a disproportional amount of influence on this on this whole process, knowing full well a lot of people would be, uh, so we say, wary of, of voting. You know, you're coming off of a midterm cycle, and we just, you know, everybody was hyped up. They were energized. They went to vote. And, you know, the idea of, oh, okay, now I've, got, now I've got to turn out in February and vote again for now the mayoral race. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it was intentionally, you know, structured to be this way. And we really do need to talk about, you know, uh, evolving into the 21st century and changing when we do this. I mean, this is Chicago. It's February. It could, you can have an election during a blizzard and, uh, you know, at, and temperatures of 10 below. But, uh, you know, there's no need to do this. We can do it in April. We can do it in May. But we have chosen to do it in February and again, you know, we don't talk enough about the, the, the problem with that process and how many people don't vote because they can't necessarily get access to transportation or they can't make it, you know, down an icy street or who knows what else. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, we, 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 we sometimes it gets bought up every few years, but, but we tend to go back to talking about the, the candidates and the issues which are important. But somebody's got to be willing to say, you know what, it's time to just move this a month or two, for God's sakes, even if you moved it to the end of March. It's leaps and bounds better than February. So, you know, yeah, just something worth raising. Well, and I, you know, as you're talking, you know, I, I am uh, behind one of the candidates in the 45th Ward. I mean, I'm supporting her, donating. Uh, I want to be very upfront about that. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with, like, being over the top on the show because it's a little, it's, you know, I just feel like that's not necessarily appropriate, even though I'm a commentary show. Um, but I've been thinking about lately, to your point, of just going to voters' houses and doing a get-out-the-vote, not for a particular candidate, but just, hey, just so you know, we've got this, this election coming up. Up. It's not a primary. It is the election. I mean, presumably a lot of these races will go into a runoff in April, but we've got to get there first. If we just let people vote in, on February 28th. Do you remember with the primary for Governor Rauner? I've talked about this a few times. He only got like, uh, you know, he had like there was only a 16 percent turnout. And of that, he was like the, the number one out of like six candidates, which meant he got maybe three percent of registered voters to get any. That's how he got had to be governor because nobody showed up for the primary. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when when Preckwinkle and and Lightfoot had their runoff, I mean, the the showing was abysmal. Yeah. For the for a city like Chicago, I mean, so you know, basically, this tiny percentage of the population ended up deciding who your mayor was. Yes. And you know, we've got nobody to blame but ourselves. But again, you know, there, there is such a thing as voter fatigue. And yeah. this whole idea that, that you know, okay, again, we, we have presidential election cycles. That's when people get really energized. Then you have the, the midterm elections, less energized, less voter turnout. But, and then on top of that, now in a city like Chicago, and say several months later, in the middle of winter, we want you to come out. And by the way, it's almost certain that that vote's not going to be the deciding vote because we're going to have to have a runoff. I mean, it, like I said, uh, we need to talk about process. It's not exciting, but it really does need to be discussed. Yeah, I think that I can't remember who it was that said that uh, voting, they consider voting like a 
like a, like gardening. Maybe it was house sparks that you you know you don't want to go do it, but you you know you got to get out there and, and roll your sleeves up. And you know whether it's in the winter. Now we had we had a weird year last year. We had primaries in June, you know. But you've got to be. It, it, it's just remember like figure out some sort of system for yourself and motivation as to why you keep showing up for these these elections because it's it's not a spectator sport as Tom Hartman says. Yeah. Right, exactly. And the other thing is that because of all of the controversy that was generated coming out of 2020, um, you've got a lot of people uh, who are, tend to be older. The people who work you, the polls in your in your community tend to be older people, and so the combination of COVID and all of the you know uh, the, the vitriol against people who are doing this job, you know, some of them have been threatened. Luckily, in Chicago, that hasn't been much of a problem. But uh, you know, they've been they've been cyber stalked. All of these things have happened, so that you really discourage people from participating in that part of civil life, civic life. And, and so now when you're actually down some, by some measure, thousands of people who could be doing those jobs. And so that means fewer voting places and fewer workers and more problems. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to have a democracy in which the people who, who service our elections can't feel safe huh. uh, and, and have no reason to show up, then, you know, then you're not going to have a functioning democracy. Correct. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. I mean, I've been a, a judge of elections. I can't imagine going through what so many people have, including the women who testified for about the January 6th, just the horrendous situation that they were put in their lives. Where they were threatened. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, imagine going, you know, being afraid to go to the grocery store because somebody's going to recognize you. Yeah. Because, you know, somebody uh, on the right wing targeted you as some sort of election fraudster. Exactly. You know, and, and, and worried about, you know, I mean, uh, this is what America's come to. This is the kind of thing that you had in, in banana republics, not in the United States of America. But that just goes to show you, you know, democracy is a fragile thing. And, you know, we, we sort of settled into this idea. It can't happen to us. It can't happen in Western Europe. No, it can't. You can lose a democracy. Yeah. You can lose uh, the constitutional republic that we've come to enjoy and the freedoms and rights. It's just a matter of, you know, a slippery slope and, until somebody decides that, oh, well, you know, we could have a different kind of government, the one that, that we don't respect everyone's rights and all the gains that have been made over the last century with regard to people of color, people of different religious backgrounds, women, and the people of different sexual orientation. All that can be threatened in, in a few years, as we've discovered. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think I like uh, Reverend Warnock, uh, Congressman Warnock's idea that uh, voting is like a prayer for the demo- for the world we want to see. I, I'll go with that. Yeah. It, it's a democracy is a messy system. Yeah. Sometimes it, it produces people like a President Trump, but hopefully, but still it's worth preserving. But it, it requires, again, as House Sparks has noted, it's like a garden. You've got to tend it. You just can't leave it there and say, I'll show up once every five or ten years to vote or something. No, it's the show. It's the, it's the show that goes on the road. You've got to keep showing up and keep showing up. It's a responsibility in the democracy. Exactly. Exactly. Well, have a great weekend. Enjoy your dinner at uh, master. I'm so, I'm so jealous. <laughs> have a, have a lovely time. Thanks so much for calling in, Steve. Appreciate it. Take care. Let's uh, take a break here. We come back. We're going to check in with our friends from Fair Vote, uh, making some strides in different parts of the country, including in our own area. In Evanston, they passed a Fair Vote. We'll talk about that and how you can get involved, support the work that they do, spread the word. And uh, that's a a call to action coming up uh, this Monday. So we want to hear about that from Gary. We'll take a break here. 773-763-9278 is a number to call and join our conversation anytime. 
If you want to text for a chance to win a pair of tickets to the Merrill Forum, what's the name of the Chicago-based restaurant show we mentioned earlier? It's on Hulu. And uh, it got, so got a lot of attention at the Golden Globes. So 773-763-9278 for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the Chicago Mayoral Forum, hosted by WCPT. I'll be there, Jonas Bezito and Santita Jackson. More in a moment on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. When you leave the office, catch up on what you missed on the way home with Patty Vasquez. Weekday afternoons from 5 to 7. Because we have so much to talk about every day. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. And as you would imagine, that would mean that folks want to call in and join the conversation. Only at WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Dino's Cardinal Liquors in Gurney, Illinois, and Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park, as well as in Chicago at Jarvis Square Tavern, Rogers Park, and Garfield's Beverage Express Wicker Park. Please drink responsibly. Jones there with uh, with I'm a Wanderer, Chris Jones and the Night Drivers. We wanted to catch up with our friends from Fair Vote, Illinois. Well, Fair Vote in general. Uh, we've got our friend Gary on the line. Hey, Gary, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Patty. How are you? I am well. I, I know this is, do you find yourself having to, like, how many times a week are you explaining the Fair Vote, the the, the idea behind it, the mechanics of it, and the, the benefits of it? How, like, would you say about 10 well, times a week? Uh, let's put it this way. My wife is done asking about it because <laughs> she always seems to be there when I'm telling somebody else about it. She could probably give the spiel in her speech, in her sleep. 
Yeah, it's a lot. It's it's, a lot. It's a lot. So what have you found to be the most efficient way to explain it to folks? Uh, I think the the most compelling statistic when I talk about it is explaining to people how we don't actually use majorities when we elect our officials, especially uh, in a primary where it's often more crowded than in in a general election. But in any election with three or more people, we often elect with a plurality. People don't normally think about it that way. I'll be honest. That's how I got involved. I didn't think about it that way. uh, Like everybody, I figured if you got the most votes, you won. And that was democracy. But it really isn't. So when you when you spell it out that way, when you point out to people that we have candidates that win their elections with 30 percent of the vote or 40 percent of the vote, and that's not actually a majority, the majority of people didn't want them. They didn't they weren't able to coalesce around one other candidate. But the majority of voters didn't want that candidate. That really opens people's eyes to, to what we're trying to do and why ranked choice voting is such a better idea. And, and I was just talking about this in the last half hour because uh, the uh, former Governor Rauner, who uh, won the primary with, you know, we had a low turnout, first of all. And then there was a crowded field, as you mentioned. I tried doing the math, and I would say it was somewhere between 3 and 5% of registered voters chose Governor Rauner as the candidate for the Republican Party uh, and eventually won. And to your point, do you, have you, is there any way to quantify, and I don't know that there is, that the impact this can have with people who are maybe apathetic and cynical about the process because they're like, well, my vote doesn't matter. But if you can rank them and say, you know, well, if, this, if my favorite doesn't win or isn't the number one, then I'm, I'm at least I've had a say in who's number two, and maybe that rises to the top, right? You know, it, it does cut both ways. You're, you're absolutely right. It does give people a chance where they think not only what you're talking about, well, if I don't get my first choice, my second choice can get in, but also it just makes them think differently about who they're going to vote for because it could be that there is a candidate that is maybe uh, sort of an outsider uh, as far as the polls go. They might think, oh, this person doesn't have a chance. So I'm not going to vote for them, even though they really speak to me. They really care about the things I care about and the things that they want to do are things that should be done. But because I don't think they really have a chance in winning, I don't want to waste my vote. Nobody wants to think they've wasted it. And so it's not just about, okay, well, if I don't get my first choice, I can vote for my second choice. It's about who that first and second choice is, because now you can actually feel good about voting for a candidate that truly represents you and not feel like you're wasting your vote. You can vote for that candidate first and hope they pull it off, but then you can always vote for another candidate second. You won't feel like you're wasting your vote, or or worse, you won't feel like you're casting a spoiler vote, that by not voting for the leading candidate who's closer to what you want, you're inadvertently helping a candidate that is as far away from what you want as possible right. from maybe stealing your vote and maybe winning an election. Yeah. I, I So, I, uh, you know, again, I, I often talk about how I, so I ran for a state rep in the 19th district. And, uh, and I talk about because I, I do have that perspective of what it's like, one, to run against an incumbent. And, and, uh, and by the way, an appointed incumbent, which is another way in which people don't realize how the system works. Mm-hmm. That some of these choices, some of the, the incumbents uh, have the privilege of the incumbency, the power of it, the money, the resources manpower. And so, again, you know, as you mentioned, there are other things that we don't really think about that determine who our leaders are in our community without us ever having any say in it. Right. Uh, That's absolutely true. There's and, and when I said before, it cuts both ways. 
one of the things I ranked towards voting is while it doesn't demand that the voters be more involved, it does sort of it does sort of ask. You know, we're not we're not going to fix the system by just putting in ranked choice voting. That's not a magic salve. It does ask us to pay more attention and to be more involved. But the thing about ranked choice voting is it, it sort of inspires that you want to be more involved because you're looking at more than just one candidate and deciding that's my vote. And so to your point, when people get more involved, they discover things like the power of incumbency. They discover that maybe there's a candidate that's there, to your point, that was appointed uh, because a spot was vacated. And so uh, a governor or somebody put somebody in there or a mayor if it's in the city. And you, you don't even realize that that person wasn't even elected by our, our somewhat faulty current system. And so in, in a way, ranked voting can also inspire people to a little more civic engagement that can maybe also help solve some of the uh, some of the problems we're seeing. And where are some of the places in the country? I, I believe was it Alaska that has uh, has voted on on ranked choice? I know Evanston, obviously, uh, but some of the bigger places, other places where you guys have been successful with achieving this. Yeah, I, and Evanston was a big win for us because we hope it's the first step to bringing it to Illinois as a whole. Uh, Maine and Alaska are the two states that have it uh, statewide for all of their elections, and it did make. A lot of news this last election cycle uh, because Sarah Palin, who didn't win either the special election for the open seat or, or the general election for that same seat uh, when, the, when the term was officially uh, ended, she very much did not like ranked choice voting. And she had every reason not to like ranked choice voting because it doesn't work for uh, an extremist niche candidate like her. It doesn't allow somebody who clearly doesn't have majority support to sneak in by simply galvanizing a small minority of supporters and hoping that all of the other votes are spread out amongst more mainstream, more more moderate candidates. Uh, so her complaining about it, uh, to me, did us a world of good. <laughs> but those are the those are the two states uh, that do it statewide. New York City, obviously the biggest city in the country, they do it for their mayoral election, uh, and quite a few cities in Minnesota. Uh, and in California also do it for their local election. And, you know, how how do we get this? How, how did you get it on the ballot? I mean, was it the city council? Was it something that you had to have uh, one elected pick it up and go, OK, I'm going to I'm going to argue this in front of my, you know, my colleagues and then we'll get it on, get it on the ballot. Was that how it worked in Evanston? Uh, yeah. Yeah, basically. So Illinois has something called home rule. So every municipality can decide how they want their elections to be run. There's no state uh, constitutional mandate about how you do it. Uh, how we went about doing it to help Evanston get there and how we're sort of going to try to do it in a few other places coming up, like in Oak Park uh, and in Berwyn, it definitely helps if you get the city council on board first and then put it on the ballot. You don't have to. You can just go right to a ballot measure, but it's better to have uh, the government on involved because uh, if they're involved, then they're not going to fight it. Uh, it wasn't on the ballot in Skokie, but there were a lot of, uh, the last election, there were a lot of Skokie ballot reforms that the the village board was not on board with, and they fought tooth and nail uh, to get those. So it's always a better approach, uh, and it worked really well for us uh, in Evanston. It passed the city council with no, uh, two uh, council people or all the people abstained from voting, but everyone else voted for it, and then it passed the ballot with 82%. So wow, uh, that's definitely the way to do it. And like I said, we're looking at some other communities, both in the Chicago area and downstate, 
to uh, try to push it forward. What, have you spoken to state electeds, you know, in, the, in our General Assembly? Are there any that are, I, I believe there were a few that were kind of bouncing the idea around a couple of years ago. Have, have you made any inroads there? Yeah, we, uh, we have had a bill that has been in the last few legislative sessions, and there is a revised version of that bill uh, that is going to be introduced in the next session that does have uh, varying support. We haven't really heard from folks who are opposed to it. Uh, we have folks that are generally supportive of it, but you know how it goes down there. Uh, they won't really say they're supporting it until everybody says they're supported and suddenly they're uh, involved. So it's going to take a while, but we're putting in the work uh, uh, to get it done. And the thing about it, while Illinois does not have a mandate for municipalities, they can every every sort of city or village or town can run their own elections. However, uh, for us to get a bill statewide, it does have to pass the legislative legislation. There is no ballot measure, so it won't be put to the people for a statewide uh, law about it. So is one of the ways uh, folks can participate in that is call their legislator and say, hey, where are you on this? And by the way, I support it. Absolutely. Uh, and I encourage people to come to our website, fairvoteillinois.org, because we will have updates as to both the House bill and a Senate bill so they can call their rep specifically and say, hey, what about HB, you know, whatever number it turns out to be or SB, whatever number, so they can be very specific uh, instead of just saying, what do you feel about how do you feel about ranked choice voting? That definitely uh, would help us out. Do you happen to know who's carrying the bill in the House and the Senate? I'm just wondering. I can, I can find that out from you later. Uh, I don't because okay. it, it's actually being uh, reworked a little bit okay. to help it garner support. And so I know uh, Laura Fine has been a big supporter. Excellent. Uh, and we've had a few that have uh, sponsored it. It's, uh, so hopefully those same folks will be on board. Um, yeah, we'll see. I would imagine. So the what? More, uh, you know, the more the merrier. So let's uh, do a call to action. What can folks do? I know that you have uh, something coming up on Monday that people can get involved and learn more and spread it the is. word. Tell us. Monday. Monday is a big day. It is ranked choice voting day because it is January twenty third, or as you may write it, uh, one two three. <laughs> you know, when we when we rank our when we rank our ballots, we put them in the order we prefer: first, second, and third. Uh, in fact, this year, the whole month of January is one, two, three. So uh, yes. this one is a, big, is a big one. Every year we try to, to push out some things on social media. Uh, you know, we're, we're active on Twitter and Facebook and, uh, and Instagram to try to put the word out. But, yeah, there's a big sort of awareness day on Monday for ranked choice voting. And for us, uh, come to our, again, come to our website at fairvoteillinois.org. Uh, you can get involved if you want to volunteer. Obviously, we, we take donations to help us out if you want to do that. If you just want to learn more about it. Uh, and then, as you suggested, obviously, anybody who wants to reach out to their local rep or their state rep and talk about it. Uh, the, the, the more talk about it, the better there is. Right now, it's definitely having a moment. It's top of mind. It's surprising when I talk to people about it. More and more people already know about it. They actually know what it is, this may be the first radio hit I've done where I haven't had to explain what ranked choice voting is. We're sort of getting past that and now just talking about 
how it works and how it can benefit everyone, which is which is awesome. And, and how we can move the ball down the field, because I think the Chicago mayoral election, let's just take the last one, you know, of course, this one as well. But the last election was how many well, there were 11 candidates. And I often say yeah. when when people see too many choices, they choose nothing. And I don't know if that's what ha- had any, any impact on the low voter turnout. But, you know, it, people were. You know, we just talked about this the last half hour, too, where there's a little bit of election fatigue. We just came out of an election in November. This is coming up right away in February. But the last go around, I think it was only 28 percent of people showed up to vote. And then, you know, Lori Lightfoot, three weeks before the election, was only at about 3 percent in polling. And, you know, just you kind of stand there and you're like, some people are just going to go eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I don't even know at this point. Right. Well, and again, you know, ranked choice voting can't solve fatigue it can't solve apathy it can't solve people just being too busy or preoccupied or just not interested to put in the work it's not going to solve everything but in that last election when there were 11 people on the ballot i mean mean, lightfoot and preckwinkle did not come close neither of them even cracked 20 percent no let alone getting close to 50 and yet those were the two candidates that got the most votes and so then they're the ones that went into a runoff uh, and so that when it was just the two of them, you want to talk about voter turnout, voter turnout dropped between that primary and then the runoff. Why? Because 80 percent of people didn't get the candidate they wanted in the runoff. Right. So if you wanted somebody else and they weren't even on the ballot, why would you show up? I mean, so it, it helps voters because while it does ask more, it also it's engaging. It's an ener- it's an energizing thing because it's new and it's more interesting. We're a society that loves to rank stuff. I mean, that's why BuzzFeed exists. We, we love to talk <laughs> about our top five of this. And so uh, it, it, it sort of gets people interested because it's new. You know, the New York City mayoral uh, that had ranked choice voting, it, it was something like 97% said they liked it. 80% of ballots were totally filled out. Uh, people got into it, and there were, uh, I don't know the number, but it was also uh, more than 10 candidates on that ballot as well. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. I think that, and the other thing is, it saves money to not have a runoff then. For sure, right? It doesn't matter if there's ten candidates or two candidates. Uh, an election costs what it costs. You need all the judges and the apparatus and the infrastructure, all that stuff. So yes, if for a city like Chicago that does runoffs, it can save it. Yes, it cut your cost basically in half. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the work that you guys do, uh, and I encourage folks. Is it FairVoteIllinois.com? dot uh, org dot org please come on out and uh get involved we're always looking for for volunteers to help whether it's uh phone banking uh or uh, myself we have a team that uh, does things like this that speaks to people and talks about ranked choice voting just trying to get the word out uh we'd love to have you excellent you know i have uh you know I, have you guys had a chance i, I think i asked andrew about this a, a while ago and i didn't have you know life happens and you, you don't circle back but you know there's a there's markets that we have in jefferson park do you guys get involved in like maybe setting up a table at some of these uh, events now that people are, are getting out more often is that something you guys would be- yeah we we are the king of farmers markets last summer we were everywhere especially because we were pushing in evanston sure we were at that evanston as a very large farmers market we were there every saturday uh, and again, pushing for that before the, the the election day, we were going door to door. We were knocking. We've been at the Oak Park Farmers Market quite a bit. We've been down in Logan Square for their Farmers Market quite a bit. Uh, and, and we have volunteers uh, outside the Chicagoland area 
that have also been doing work like down in Springfield. Uh, and there was talk of heading out to the Quad Cities like, we'll, we'll, we'll go where we can get people. And Bloomington has a decent uh, group of volunteers as well. They're also putting the word out. And your, your farmer's markets are, are great places. Outstanding. Uh, to go and sit head at the table and talk to people. Great. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm going to try to connect with you guys about our market here on the northwest side as well. And, uh, and you know, one I'm, right now I'm, I'm working on trying to get people just to know about the, the mayoral and aldermanic races and, and make sure we're getting out the vote. And, uh, and I really am so grateful for the work that you guys do and look forward to talking to you again. Have a great weekend, my friend. Thanks for having us on, Patty. We appreciate it. Of course, go to fairvoteillinois.org and help out. This is a it's a great uh, it's a great way to really I think uh, have our voices heard in an impactful way. And uh, and like you said, Gary, it's a let's we like to rank stuff. So because you you always see we it, we love it. Yeah, you let you see candidate. You're like, well, I, you know, if they don't win, I'd be okay if so and so did. And then you know, it's, it, this is the way to do that. Be well and keep up the, the good fight. Thanks, Patty. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Let's uh, take a break here. Come back. If you want to join us before we wrap up, 773-763-9278 is the number to call. And uh, I believe we've got another winner on the tech screen. It was not uh, It was not the National Restaurant Association. The name of the show is Bear. Are people not watching Bear on Hulu? That's uh, the show that we were uh, referencing. The Chicago-based Hulu series is called Bear. And uh, I tried watching it, and it gave me a little bit of, uh, you know, I just remember being in a hot kitchen and, Uh, Working with chefs that uh, can be a little bit demanding. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Stephanie Miller. We get an awful America-hating WNBA player while Russia gets an international arms dealer. That's the thing about the whole Hunter Biden thing. Are we just ignoring that every rant he posts, he's obviously completely drunk coke and or to coke gills. to the gills? Allegedly. <laughs> right, allegedly, Chris. Did I say Adderall that he's crushed up and snorted. I'm sorry. Allegedly. Trump organization, criminal, criminal Trump organization is what's not alleged anymore. Right. Stephanie Miller, weekday mornings, 8 to 11, on WCPT 820. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at ANS Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand and Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. Just uh, wrapping up here as we uh, wind down the show. I want to thank everybody for hanging out with us. Uh, the mayoral forum is on Thursday, January 26th. And I have one more pair of tickets to give away today. So just the, how about the uh, second caller? 773-763-9278 is the number to call for your chance to win a pair of tickets for the mayoral forum. We have. A, I'm kind of excited to do this because I know that there are a lot of folks that want to hear. Look, I didn't watch the entire debate last night. Um, I just got some of the the highlights that I saw online. Uh, You you know, you take things out of context. I just was fascinated that one of Mayor Lightfoot's uh, solutions for uh, some of the things the thefts that have happened with uh, food vendors in different areas is to make sure that they go cashless. Um, 
I guess. But again, I'm taking these things out of, out of, out of context. Make sure they got Zelle and Venmo. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. There's a lot of forums happening all over the Chicagoland area. Make sure that you're checking out your neighborhood Facebook pages to find out when yours is. I know that they just recently did the uh, 30th Ward. The 39th Ward had a forum. The 45th Ward will be having a forum on February 2nd. I'll be broadcasting live from the Copernicus Center. I am not moderating that one because I have skin in the game. And uh, Justin Kaufman is the moderator for that forum. And we also are going to be at Access Living. I will not, I'll be taking the day off. Senator Dankotowski will fill in for me on January 30th. There's a uh, Plow the Sidewalks event with uh, Better Streets Chicago. We'll also be talking about the bike grid, which... Um, I, I will tell you, I used to be one of those folks that would see cyclists and slowing down traffic, and I'd be like, you know, we won. Cars won. And I won the tragedies of the last several years, cyclists who have been hit by cars that didn't see them in their blind spot, the uh, horrible tragedies of, of last year alone, three children that were killed in biking accidents. Uh, one of the cases involved a ComEd truck that was barked, parked illegally in the bike lane, and I guess I guess it's the hubris. It's the like, what? Uh, you know, I had a work permit to, to, to park illegally. I mean, like, so the work permit is, I would imagine that you, it's a work permit. You can park wherever the hell you want. I, I don't, that's not how I understand it. But we will be talking about those issues coming up on January 30th at Access Living. I'll have more information next week about how you can get involved. And I'm really grateful for having these conversations this week. I want to thank our sponsors, Kids Above All. Go to kidsaboveall.org to find out how you can help kids reach their potential. Call our friend Warren Price at European U.S. Car Service. Uh, he, he will help you out. And uh, they do a lot of great work. Uh, he's my guy. He's my car guy. 773-248-1200 or go to U- europeanus.com and also of course last but not least Monaco Brewing Company thank you Kirk Banks said and uh, all the great progressive brew that you make available to uh, the Chicagoland area go to the Patty Vasquez show page we can find the, all the locations pinned there at the top of the page as well as I'm running right now to go join Whiskey and a Cookie have a great weekend Lady B bye everyone Mike Crutes up next with the Devil's Advocates